Heart shaping uh, is our theme uh, these days. As we're traveling the road, uh, the Calvary road, to the cross and to the resurrection, uh, in a short time we're going to uh, gather around the Lord's table and we're going to take a piece of bread and we're going to taste it. We're going to experience it. And we're going to eat it. And we're going to take a, a very small glass and we're going to let it, uh, the juice from the glass go into our mouth. We're going to taste it and experience it. Maybe getting a little bit of feedback, I'm not sure. Uh, and, and we're going to swallow it. And in just doing those two things this morning uh, is wrapped uh, up a lot of significance and a lot of meaning when our heart and mind is connecting with the power of these two physical substances. So there are two things that we should see this morning, two Bs. One is betrayal and uh, one is belonging. We're not always uh, aware when something uh, in our pathway, of our, which is going to be our last, our last experience. You know, sometimes when we travel a long ways to see a loved one, we're aware that uh, we have an uh, awareness that this could be the last time that I'll ever see that person. I don't know, have you ever had that experience where you kind of realize that, oh, this might be the last time? And I was always conscious of that when traveling to Cranbrook and my mother was in a care facility and there we were kind of giving that wave at the door, uh, saying goodbye, and, and it always had a funny feel to it because at age 97, it was realistic to think that I may not, in fact, be back here again before mom goes home, which turned out to be true. We call it the, the Last Supper. The Last Supper. Jesus knew what that meant, that this would be the last time that he would get to have his guys around him all to himself. And he would spend as much time with them as he could, and he would give them as much encouragement and direction as he possibly could before it was time to say farewell. And he would actually add a great deal of meaning to the existing church, uh, existing supper, to, to help the men appreciate the impact of a new day that was dawning, <clears throat> a new dimension of God's grace for the world. And as we read, we discovered that the existing supper was called the Passover meal. So it was Passover time, and Jerusalem was crowded with people. I mean, crowded thousands came in to Jerusalem. Hotels were busy. Restaurants were busy. It was, it was just busy and crowded. And no doubt it was like trying to find a place to meet when the Stanley Cup playoffs are in Edmonton with the Oilers. Where did that thought ever come from? <laughs> but notice, uh, notice is given that a man would be carrying a pitcher of water. And Jesus said, tell him that the teacher is asking for a room. Tell him that the teacher's time has come. Uh, he'll get it. And you know, it won't be hard to find this man because men hardly ever carried water. It was always the women carrying the water. So, just cultural. Don't be upset with that. So there was a little preparation for this meal. Well, probably quite a lot of preparation. Peter and John would have had to secure the bread and the bitter herbs and as well as the wine for the feast. And they'd have had to find a perfect lamb and then they would have that lamb slain in the court of the temple and the blood put on the altar and the lamb would be roasted whole and then the feast would be ready. So now it was time to start. 
the Passover meal, the Passover supper. And you know, you don't see a lot of times in the, in the Bible when uh, Jesus is stressed. I mean, yes, there were times when he spoke rather strongly or he felt strongly about something. Uh, there were times when he chided a little bit. There were times when he joked a little bit. But this evening, he is more than a little stressed. Maybe because John is so close to, to Jesus, he reads him the best. It's in his writings that he says, Now, Jesus was deeply troubled. He was deeply troubled. He was troubled because he knew that one of the men he dearly loved wasn't changing. I love that scene in the video where Jesus embraces Judas. Um, he, he knew that one of his disciples was going to make the biggest mistake of his life. He knew that this man had, had played a game for three and a half years. He'd played a game. He had appeared to be all in, but he wasn't. He was far from being all in. But he was tremendously good at what he did. He was a con artist. And imagine being a con artist thinking that you're really good at it only to discover one day that the one you wanted to con knew all the time. He knew all the time. Now when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, that sets off alarms within the disciples. And the disciples started looking at one another, wondering about who, who he could possibly mean. And they were probably looking for body language signs. I mean, I can hear Peter saying to Andrew, did you see when Jesus said that, that Thomas' eyes twitched? Did you see that? And maybe Andrew said, no, I didn't see that. But did you see Bartholomew's leg jump? You'd think he had restless leg syndrome. He, his, his foot just came up. Wow. We have to understand how chilling those words would have sounded to Jesus' original hearers. I mean, imagine that you have a big family get together. Man, it's a party. Everybody's talking and celebrating and clinking some glasses and all of a sudden, dad walks to the center of the room and hushes everybody. And he says, I just want to let you know that I received a death threat in the mail. And in a few days, I will be murdered. What? What are you talking about? Yes, dad says it's real. I take it seriously. And by the way, one of you in this room tonight knows it all too well. Because one of you sent me an email. One of you threatened me. Talk about a good way to pour cold water on a party. I mean, that just douses the flames on the making of a great evening. But once you gained your composure, there would be people in the room would, who would say, Who is this creep? Who in the room would have audacity to do a thing like that? We'll kill the guy. Or maybe we would all respond like the disciples did. <laughs> Me? I, I, I don't think so. But me? Do I not know myself? Am I going to do something crazy? Am I the one, Lord? And here's the ironic thing in the story. Yes, it's Judas, and he will make an exit from the room very quickly, but by the time Jesus gets nailed to the cross, every single disciple will betray Jesus. They will all forsake. And Jesus said it. 
He said it to them, you will all fall away. You'll all fall away. Judas betrayed Jesus with his greed, but the other's disciples betray him with their weakness, with their fear, with their cowardice. And so it's very inclusive. It's very inclusive. But maybe we all say, well, surely not I, Lord. And maybe we all get a little defensive. It surely is not my issue, is it, Lord? And we clamor to be among the righteous. But when we try so hard to prove our innocence, we miss out on what Jesus wants to do for us. We could walk down the aisle this morning and pick up a piece of bread and the cup and feel like it's not me. I'm doing well. Or we could walk down the aisle and say, it's me again, Lord. It's me again. And when we do, we realize the strength and power of this table. That it's not for those who have got it all together and could really say, it's not me. But wouldn't it be wonderful if Judas would have taken that last opportunity to say, it is me. Jesus would have loved it. Jesus would have embraced him because there was still time. The Lord's Supper will always be attended by and offered to people like me and like us who betrayed Jesus last week, who betrayed him yesterday, and may betray him again next week. That doesn't minimize our sin. It just helps us see our need even more. And it magnifies God's love and grace to us. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he wonderful? Doesn't he always want the best for us? Kind of like we sang the first song this morning. That his hand and his heart are always there for us, regardless. That he just looks for a response, that's all. It's me, Lord. And I need you again. Betrayal. Yes. I, I can't emphasize enough how this was not news to Jesus of, about Judas. But it was deeply troubling. Troubling in the sense that it didn't have to be. Oh, I, I don't know how this works in the whole tension of sovereignty and free will. Because you say, well, he was a pawn. I mean, he just, he just had to walk that road. He was a pawn. I really don't have to know how that tension works out. Because remember the statement when John the Baptist said to the Pharisees who claimed to be the children of Abraham. And John the Baptist looked at them and said, God is able from these very stones to raise up children of Abraham. Matthew 3, 9. <laughs> Which is simply to say, God has a thousand and one ways to fulfill his purpose and he will always get it done. So betrayal. Second is belonging. Judas, having now exited, the remaining group settled in to hear the words of Jesus to them in these closing moments of the Lord being among them. It's all coming very quickly now. But the meal is a perfect occasion to cement one more time what his death really means. And this act will be perpetuated through the centuries of time so we never forget it. 
So we never lose that we belong to God through Jesus Christ and it is brought about by what Jesus is heading into. Now, Jesus was always heads up concerning his death. Nothing surprised him. He gets it before the Jewish leaders get it. We talked about that last Sunday. He was ahead of them. He knew what was coming. Even when they were plotting for his uh, crucifixion, he, he was already aware of what was coming. And the Lord graciously gave us a rich and powerful reminder to keep on investing as often as we do. And God has always been into symbols to express meaning. The rainbow in the sky was the promise of his love for Noah and for all of creation. And, in, you know, when God wanted to show how awful sin is and how much forgiveness cost, he had his people pick one of their best sheep, bring it to the tabernacle, and kill it. And then sometimes the blood of the animal was actually sprinkled on the people. It was, it was kind of messy. But you would never walk away from that occasion saying, that was kind of a cool experience, and that was kind of a neat group, and that was, it was never like that. It was about being very real and about being powerful and personal. And when you saw the cost that the lamb being slain, you realized that your sin wasn't just easy come, easy go. It was immensely expensive. And yes, when you see a motion picture about Jesus being crucified, like the Passion of the Christ, and I know we often say, oh, that is so graphic. Did they need to make it so graphic? And sometimes you can hardly watch it. But it does something inside of you to recognize the tremendous cost. Yes, there have been tremendous, uh, there have been differences in understanding the Lord's Supper through the years. Some have said these elements actually become the body and blood of Jesus because Jesus said, this is my body. He said, this is my blood. And others have said, no, this is just a reminder that like when you tie a, a string around your finger, it's just a reminder to help you jog your memory. That this is just a reminder so that you can think of it again of what Jesus has done. So which is right? Probably neither. It's not, a, it's not a literal formula where a miraculous transformation takes place before your, your eyes. And it's not a string on your finger kind of thing either. Because this is an experience of being part of Jesus. This is an experience of feeding on Him. And you have to understand that carefully, spiritually. You're drawing life from Him. Even as you will this morning as you, you come to these tables. Getting Him into us. Maybe even better, getting us into Him. It's a heart connection and a deep love and an expression of gratitude. And it's called Eucharist, which means to give thanks for the life that is in you because of Jesus. Eucharisto. It's an expression of worship. Jesus didn't say, now analyze this bread, now think good thoughts about this bread and ponder this bread. No, he said, just take it. Just eat it. Because this is my body. Take it and drink it. This is my blood. He didn't say do an eight-week study on it. They just drank it 
the rich, deep wine burning as it descended from the lips to the stomach. They experienced it. But it was all about giving thanks and experiencing the reality of Jesus and being so grateful for salvation and forgiveness and a new beginning and grace and recovery from failure. Everything that all of us need, every one of us. All those words, forgiveness, a new beginning, grace, recovery from failure. It's, it's what we, all of us need. And that's what it means. But look at what he says because this must have rattled these 11 remaining men. For this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Something powerful was happening here. And they were just beginning to get it. The light was beginning to shine like the crack in the doorway and the light was beginning to come through. The old covenant kept unraveling and God through those centuries kept promising a new covenant. And the whole Old Testament kept saying, something better is coming. Wait, wait, expect it. Something better is coming. A new covenant was being arranged. So those disciples must have looked into one another's eyes and asked, is this it? Is this a new covenant that's coming? Is this the prophecy of history coming true right now? The new covenant of deeper forgiveness and deeper power and more immense reality of God's power in our lives and his presence. I mean, they understood about a lamb being slaughtered. But here was Isaiah 53 unfolding before them that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. It's the new covenant. Jesus says, this is my blood poured out for you. There's a wonderful story about a cardinal who served in the Philippines some years ago. Those of you who, are, who bless us by being here from the Philippines. Uh, his, his name was Cardinal Sin. <laughs> he had a great sense of humor and he often joked about his name because he was called Cardinal Sin, S-I-N. Uh, he was outspoken. He... Uh, he uh, Served uh, during those revolutionary years in the 80s and 90s. He died in 2005. But when he was a bishop, a young woman in his parish claimed that she had visions of Jesus. And Bishop Sin was given the task of determining whether those visions were authentic. And so he called her in for an interview, after which he made this request. He said, daughter, the next time you see Jesus, would you ask him what sin your bishop committed as a young priest and then come and tell me his answer? And she agreed. And the bishop, aware that nobody knew his sin except himself and his confessor and Jesus, felt that this would indeed be a valid test. So months later, the woman returned reporting that she had seen Jesus again. And the bishop said, good. Did you ask him about my sin? And she said, yes. And he said, what did he say? He said, I've forgotten. I've forgotten. Forgiven and forgotten. 
Well, that is the essence of the table. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to sin, to forgive the sins of many. Forgiven and forgotten as far as the east is from the west. And the new covenant is complete and it brings us into the fullness of God himself. It has opened up the pathway for us to come to the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And it has brought us into a wonderful family where we have belonging and find strength and joy and unity in being together as the people of God. And so as we've heard this morning, whether it's our children that we support and families in El Salvador or for the refugee couple that we are supporting out of Syria, out of Lebanon, or for the people in Hungary and Nepal and uh, Thailand. We are all one in the family of God because of this table. We have a place of belonging. So friends, let me invite you to these tables this morning. They're the tables which are spread forth uh, with elements. These are the elements of love and grace. And we're asked to examine our hearts as we come so that we don't come carelessly or recklessly. But when you come with a heart that's asking for forgiveness and grace and receiving his love, you will know his love and his forgiveness. If you've not yet come to know the Lord personally, please don't feel the pressure to come because everybody else is coming. Please don't feel that pressure to come. Just know that you're in a journey and God is calling you to himself. And my prayer, my heart's prayer, is that your heart and your eyes would be open to see the reality of who Jesus really is.